Good morning, Bethel. My name is Mark Kirkendall, and I'm one of the pastors of Bethel, uh, but I'm typically at our White House campus while Ross is usually here. But today we thought, hey, let's switch places uh, in a great thing to begin a brand new series for uh, the month of May. So it's always great to come. I think it's been actually a couple of years uh, since I've been here on a Sunday morning to see so many faces that are familiar uh, and so many new ones. Um, and that's always, always exciting. So in 2007, several things happened. Questionably, Barry Bonds broke Hank Aaron's home run record. The Spurs won the title. And a device that is pretty controlling now was introduced, the iPhone. But for me, it was one that has marked my family. It was the year that we moved back to East Texas to be a part of Bethel. I tell you, man, my family of three, we moved in August of 2007. And man, my family has really changed as Bethel has. In fact, I'd want you to know them about my children. And I would talk about them and kind of their characteristics or their kind of attributes. And so our oldest, it's always easy to market when we relocated back to East Texas. Kylie, our oldest, started kindergarten. You know, mom cried and all that was going on, knew of launching that child into the big bad world. But she began kindergarten the year we moved. And now she's about to finish her junior year. Time has gone by fast. I'd want you to know this about her. Her spiritual gift is sarcasm. And uh, it's hard to find that in Scripture, but I promise she has it. She's also our child of style. I mean, Fancy Nancy was her absolute favorite book. I almost probably still have it memorized. Uh, but she is one that loves others and is loyal to her family and friends. Well, then our middle one, Ophie, uh, some of you might remember the day that we adopted her almost seven years ago from Ethiopia. In fact, many of you made that possible for us to be able to do that. But man, she is a lover of cuisine. I mean, there is no one on the face of the earth that appreciates God's gift of food uh, more than Ophi. But she is also has this huge heart that she just loves to help. She's the child that will help bring in the groceries uh, without even being asked. Uh, she'll make you lunch and uh, she just loves to serve people. And then our youngest, Marcus, he came to us miraculously and even came into the world um, in dramatic fashion. But this dude is all boy. I mean, he loves anything that slithers, crawls, swims. In fact, he says he wants to be a herpetologist. His mother's praying against that, that he would deal with snakes all the time. And man, he loves baseball. And uh, man, he's just full of life. And so these are my children now. A lot has changed and, you know, they're similar in some ways, but they're also so unique with different characteristics. And so that's how I would kind of quickly describe my children. So how would you describe what God's like? I mean, what kind of God is he? What is he like and how do we explain that? So over the next few weeks, we're going to be talking, and one way to do this is by his attributes. And an attribute is just this divine truth, something that is true about God. But he's unlike anything or anyone we ever knew or could imagine. I mean, he's one of a kind. He's unique. He's 
without comparison. In fact, even describing him with kind of just mere words, we, we would never be able to fully do that. In fact, for all eternity, we will be discovering who God is. And we'll never reach the end of that. There will always be something new. So the best that we can do now, I believe, is by thinking about, talking about his attributes. Those things that are true about the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And these divine truths are not something that uh, are not connected. Everything about him in his attributes is a complement and supports the other. And so he doesn't compromise one for the other. And so his traits of his attributes of mercy never conflict with his justice. God's justice never conflicts with his righteousness. And his righteousness never contradicts or comes into conflict with his patience. And so this morning, I want to hone in on one attribute that really can transform so many things about us. How you see yourself, how you see others, how you interact, and even how you see God. It's the idea that God is faithful. Meaning he is infinitely and unchangingly true. But there's a problem. And the problem is this, is that it is hard for us, I think, to fully or even begin to understand God is faithful when there's so much unfaithfulness around us. Whether it's in your jobs or your families, even in our churches, marriages, that as parents, you've done it, I've done it, you've promised your child something to get them something or take them somewhere and something comes up at work and you have to go back on your word. You've probably at times been promised a raise or promotion and then it falls through. Sadly, many people suffer all kinds of abuse, such mentally, physically, emotionally, from people that they would say they trusted. Many people I've talked to have said, man, I married someone and come to find out a few years later they were nothing like I thought they were. And so what happens is that we can take these things that cause us not to trust people. And then we project that, well, then God must be that way too. So whether you've suffered abuse, been lied to, had your parents break their vows, if we're not careful, we can project on what we see, think, and feel about who God is. But what we need to understand is that God is not only faithful. He is the perfect embodiment of what that means. Trying to put it in mere words, A.W. Pink says it this way, God is true. His word of promise is sure. In all his relations with his people, God is faithful. He may be safety relied upon. No one ever yet really trusted him in vain. So this morning, if you have a problem trusting people, if you find it hard to do that, or maybe even difficulty trusting God, I want to use the scriptures to speak to us this morning, and that we could walk away knowing, believing, and resting in that no one ever trusted God in vain. People may let you down, your children, it may be hard to trust them at times. The people you work with to go to church, they may break your confidence, and you may be even find it difficult to trust a spouse or a family or a close friend. 
But no matter what is going on in your life or my life, you can really believe that no one ever trusted God in vain. And so what I'd love to do, because you see this all throughout Scripture, I want to just point out a few things that, that show this, that support this eternal truth, and then focus in on 2 Timothy chapter 2. So if you want in your Bibles, on your devices, go ahead and find 2 Timothy chapter 2. And I just want to kind of lay the, the groundwork for this idea is God really faithful? The first place, or we could begin anywhere, I've picked Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 9. It says, Know therefore that the Lord your God is God, the faithful God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments to a thousand generations. So meaning that God always, forever, keeps his word. These never once and never will ever break a promise. But you know someone, I know someone, whether it's a small or large promise, we've all experienced that. We've all done that. But God is one that never breaks a promise. Any promise that he makes, we can rest in full confidence that God will always, no matter what, keep his word. And notice that God doesn't just keep his word today or tomorrow or next week. It says he keeps it for a thousand generations. So the average generation is about 30 years. So for 30,000 years, the scripture says you can trust God's word. So it's saying that there's never a single second of our lives that God is not faithful to his word. You'll never experience that. There's not a millisecond of your life that God will not keep his word. Now, is it always easy to have faith in that? No. But there's never a second of your life that God is not faithful. But not only is he faithful in describing measurements of time, it's even space. Psalm 36.5 says, Your steadfast love, O Lord, extends to the heavens. Your faithfulness to the clouds, meaning that God's faithfulness is beyond us. It's above us. It, it spans us, that there's never a place where God's faithfulness is not around you, meaning no season of life that you might find yourself in, whether you're about to graduate high school or college, getting married or trying to figure out the next kind of stage of life or beginning a family or raising children or enjoying those blessed grandparenting years, that God's faithfulness is in every stage of life. So not only is he faithful in time and space, man, it's waiting for you every single moment that you wake. Lamentations 3 tells us the steadfast love of, Lord, of the Lord never ceases You'll never get to the end of it. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. But we know each and every morning there's so many unknowns. You don't know how the day's gonna take off or how it's gonna end. Your children may not be able to find their shoes in the morning. You may be late for school. You may or may not have enough money to pay that bill that's come due. It might be the day that you receive notice of how you no longer have a job here. 
Or you get that letter from the doctor with the results of some test. But no matter what the day holds, good and bad, God's faithfulness is already, before the sun comes up, it's already waiting on you. And you'll never discover the end of what God can do to be faithful. So not only is he faithful to reach generations in space, and it's waiting on you each and every day, God knows there's so much unfaithfulness around you. And he says that even if there is no one else standing that can be faithful, he will. Romans 3.3, what if some were unfaithful? Does their faithfulness nullify the faithfulness of God? And Paul goes on to say, absolutely not. Meaning if every single person you know is faithless, God is not. And we've all experienced that in some form or fashion. A friend at school that you trusted shares something that you didn't want them sharing, a family, a member, a, a spouse, a co-worker, they're all around us. And we are also these people that have been unfaithful to us and we have been unfaithful. And as I said earlier, we have to be careful not to take what we see and we experience and project that on it. Well, then that's how God is. That we live in this world of trying to keep everyone happy and stay in everyone's graces and that we would look good in people's eyes so that it benefits us. But it says, no matter who is unfaithful to you, God never is. So let me give you just two kind of benefits of this. And then how does this play out in our lives? 1 Corinthians chapter 10. It says, no temptation has overtaken you is not common to man. God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Meaning God says he is faithful that every situation you are faced with, with temptation, there's always an escape. Whether it's to get angry with your spouse or lose your temper with your children or say something to offend someone, take something that doesn't belong to you, look at something we know we have no business looking at, God says there's always going to be an escape. It's up to you, up to me to take that. But God says you'll never find a moment of temptation that I haven't provided you a way to stand strong. Last one, Hebrews 10, 23. Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering, for he has promised to be faithful. Meaning it is not the amount of faith that you have that is important. You can have all the faith more than anyone, and if it's in the wrong thing, it's useless. What is important is the one that you have faith in. In. So whether it's you're sitting in a season of just, man, great joy, and man, your faith seems to be soaring, and man, you just find yourself in a wonderful place spiritually, whether you find yourself in a season of doubt and anxiety and just kind of holding on by a string, God says he's faithful to hold on to you, no matter what season it may be, not because we're faithful, but because he is. And these are just a few examples. I mean, all of Scripture talks about this idea that God is faithful. And the list is endless. So now let's go to 2 Timothy chapter 2. So Paul, he's, he's writing to young Timothy. 
Paul loves Timothy and Timothy loves him. I mean, Paul is this mentor, this, this person that Timothy looks to that is his leader. He has confidence and, and trust in Paul. And Paul looks at Timothy and sees so much potential. In fact, he says he looks at him like a son. But Paul is now sitting in prison, expecting death. And Timothy is absolutely terrified. I mean, his confidant, his teacher, his mentor, leader is sitting in prison thinking, what am I going to do if he doesn't make it out alive? So Paul writes to young Timothy. This is what Paul wants Timothy to know, believe, trust, and to live in. We pick up in verse 8. He says, Timothy, remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel. So Paul takes Timothy back to the most important thing in his life. That Timothy's life seems to be spinning out of control, wondering what is going to happen. The person that Timothy looks up to, admires, and has faith in is sitting in prison expecting death. And Paul reminds Timothy to focus on what is most important. In fact, the most important thing for Timothy it's not that his children will be well behaved. It's not that he'll have this job that is super fulfilling. It's not that he'll find a soulmate. It is that Jesus Christ came, dwelt among them, died, and was raised again. And Paul says nothing will ever even come close to being more important than that in Timothy's life. But all that Timothy is hoping and trusting in is what's happening. It's, it's being tested. And we all have had our faith tested in some form or fashion. We've had faith in others. Sometimes it's gone well, sometimes not. Faith in God. So Paul is encouraging Timothy to push back against all of the circumstances and to focus on the most important thing. So he says this in verse 9. For which I am suffering, bound in chains as a criminal. But the word of God is never, is not bound. So even though Paul is sitting in prison, bound in these chains, not knowing how this is going to end, he believes that nothing will hinder or bind up or limit the word of God. Why? Is it because Timothy is so great or Paul is so strong? It's because God's word, no matter what, it can be trusted that God is always faithful to his word. So he turns to Timothy in verse 10 and says, Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they may also obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. That when a person realizes that Jesus is the most important thing in life, the thing of the world begins to fade into the background. You begin to see the world and yourself and those around you differently. So Paul says, all that I'm enduring, all of this is worth it so that more and more people will hear and come to know the joy and the freedom of knowing Christ. And when they discover this, when a person realizes this, there's a brand new way to see. And this has really been the prayer for my children since they were born. Is that I want my children to grow up and to have this faith that is not superficial. It's not my faith. It, it is theirs. 
And that they look at Jesus and they treasure him in such a way that anything this world would offer them, they would say, no, thank you. And so he's looking at Timothy and he gives them the details of what that relationship is based upon. In verse 11, he says, if nothing else can be trusted, this is a trustworthy saying. If we have died with him, we will also live with him. In fact, just two weeks ago, we celebrated Easter in that funeral for death where Jesus stared into death's cold, cruel eyes and with infinite power, he defeated sin and death, rendering them powerless over those that would believe. So Paul says, no matter what, this truth, Timothy, can be trusted. He's saying, whether I live or I die, it really doesn't matter because I know of where my faith is. And man, this should bring believers incredible joy. That no matter what happens, as long as I believe the most important thing, that God is always faithful, even faithful through death. That if I die trusting in Jesus Christ, it's the greatest thing that could ever happen to me. But now we need to be careful. Because it's a section I think we can often shy away from. That we like to think about God being faithful to keep the promises that we like and, and help us and make us feel good and reassure us. Things like, you know, he'll never leave you nor forsake you. Man, that he'll never let us be tempted with more than we can handle. He will help us endure in the end. Jude tells us that he will present us blameless at the coming of Jesus. But not only is Jesus faithful in the good things, not only is God faithful in keeping the good promises, he's faithful in keeping his warnings. So this next one is a warning that he wants all to be aware of in verse, begins in verse 12, begins with the positive. If we endure, we will reign with him. And what a great promise. But then he goes on to say, if we deny him, he will deny us. It's a quote from Jesus in Matthew chapter 10, verse 33, where he says, Jesus says, whoever denies me before men, I will deny them before my father. And this is meant to be a strong warning. But we have to think, as Paul's saying, listen, if you ever have a hard time, if you ever have a hard time trusting in God, is he going to deny you? Or is He's saying, listen, if you've ever questioned your faith, then does that mean that God just looks the other way and forgets us? Or is he saying, listen, if you've ever strayed or walked away from Christ in your life, that God is going to deny you? And over and over, the answer is absolutely not. But we need to understand that this is a threat of lossless, not a promise of salvation. We like to think about the promise and the security of salvation. And Paul will get to that in just a moment. But here is a threat of lostness. That Paul is saying if a person persists in their faithlessness and they deny and they reject the call of the gospel, that God will also remain faithful to that warning and that he will deny them. And in hopes that they would, someone would read this warning and cast all the doubt aside and say, everything that the world is telling me, everything that the mind games that I'm playing, 
that I'm going to put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ. That he came and died the death that I deserved and lived the life that I never could have lived. And I'm going to put my hope in that. And then the next promise comes true for them. In verse 13, the promise of all promises. If we are faithless, he remains faithful. If we wander, if we stray, if we doubt, God never does. Because he cannot deny himself. And I think the classic example is who we looked at last week at the close of the Gospel of John with Peter. Man, he had all the confidence in the world, but in the wrong things. Man, he would never deny Jesus. Man, he would lay down his life. If everyone leaves him, man, I'm going to stand strong. And you find him sitting on that beach, trying to go back to what he knows. And he's completely devastated. Man, he's fragile and he's frail. But what happens around that charcoal fire is that he realizes that God's faithfulness for him had never faltered and it never wavered. And you know, then that is also then true for us. That no matter what season of life, no matter where you might be, no matter if your faith is strong and growing or if you feel like you are barely holding on, even if all of your circumstances are painting this picture of doubt and despair, even if you see complete unfaithfulness around you, God remains forever faithful. Because Scripture, page after page, person after person, example after example, shouts all the same thing. No one ever trusted God in vain. Do you realize that you will never find a person in Scripture that that's true of? No one in Scripture ever trusted God and it turned out to be in vain. So let me ask you this morning, where you are in your life, whatever season it may be in, where do you need to be able to trust God's faithfulness right now? Maybe it's in marriage or singleness parenting or wanting to have children, a job situation, a health situation. No matter where you need to be able to trust God's faithfulness, I hope that you will hear Scripture boldly proclaiming over and over again, no one ever trusted God in vain. You'll never find them. And if you do, the same is true for you. It'll never be in vain. So I want to share with you a time in my life where Man, I had, to sh- I, I had to step out and trust God. And man, I, uh, there have been times that this has happened. And man, I remember being absolutely terrified. It happened about five years ago. And it's when we launched out to start a new campus of Bethel and White House. And listen, it was exciting, but one of the most terrifying times in my life. I had never felt more inadequate. I'd never done the thing like that. I've never had that much responsibility. I'd really never preached that often other than, you know, kind of Memorial Day, Labor Day, Fourth of July, and the the one after Christmas. Man, it was so difficult. I, I was so in over my head. And I remember thinking, what happens if this doesn't work? What happens if I can't do this? Man, if this thing fails... Because we did our research and three churches closed in that city 
in the last 18 months. Remember, what happens if that's us? Ben, will there still be a place for me at Bethel? Will they let me come back? Man, if this thing fails, man, what are people going to think of me? I was scared to death. So we started gathering in our home and we started planning with about 20 others and we started praying. But then it was go time. We had nowhere to meet, no one to lead worship, no one to lead adult connections class, nobody to step in and lead youth. Had no idea. We had no idea how to fix this stuff. We'd done everything we had known. Fritz and I are meeting one day to look at some office space. That's kind of maybe that's an option. We don't know where we'll meet. Meeting with the guy, the landlord, and it was a closed down barber shop. Well, that was encouraging. Something else to fail. And the guy said, well, you know I've got like 2,800 square feet in the back. It's not much. It's been about a thousand different things. But, man, if you want to look at it, go for it. And, man, it turned out to be a phenomenal place. Well, then we needed someone to lead worship. Met a guy here at the South Campus, and I think we went to lunch, something like that. We began talking. He said, well, listen, I... I when we'd like to come, and I don't know what we have to offer. And he said, I can play a little guitar. I said, well, that's more than me. Um, where, where have you played? And he said, well, I've played in the nursery at South. I thought, oh, my goodness. And he said, listen, I feel so inadequate. Man, I've never done anything like this, but I, I'm going to trust God to do something. And listen, I'm not lying. We played the same six songs for like 10 weeks People were begging, could we play something new? We have to say, this is all we know. But he stepped out and did something that he couldn't do on his own. Met with a guy and shared a need, hey, connections. He said, listen, man, I don't know very much of the Bible. I've never taught an adult class. But he said, man, I'll step out and trust God. Maybe he can use whatever I have. Met with a family, a couple. Said, man, could you... Step in, we need somebody to lead youth. They said, listen, we've taught children and we're kind of comfortable with that, but man, teenagers scare us. There's no way we could do that. They've been doing it for three and a half years now. And person after person begins showing up saying, listen, if there's a need, I will trust God to be faithful to lead me as I lead others. And as I look back over the last five years, I see God's faithfulness. And it was scary and then I loved seeing people step out and live in that truth. But it came through people relying on God to do something that they did not feel like they could do on their own. But now, five years later, there's a lingering danger. And I feel it. And the danger of getting comfortable. You see, naturally... We like to live in a comfort and we like to follow Jesus as, as long as it's comfortable. We like to do things and I like to do things that come easy and match up with my strengths and I feel like I can do on my own without a lot of help. And so the danger is to only do the things that come easy, to do the things that I don't need to rely on anyone else, much less God for. So here's the question I want us asking. What am I doing for Christ that I cannot do on my own? What am I doing that I cannot do in my own strength? What am I doing right now that I cannot do if God doesn't do something? 
And you don't have to look very far. I know every campus has needs of ministry. Hey, I'm afraid of breaking a baby. You know what? Maybe God needs me there. Leading children and, and youth. Man, we had people signing up for mission trips going, I have nothing to offer. I've never shared the gospel. I don't know what these missionaries do. What can I offer? How in the world am I going to raise this amount of money? What about life groups? Man, I know it's scary to step into someone's living room going, ah, people just don't know how messed up I am. Or leading one, that's even worse. Man, how in the world am I going to lead people I can't even lead myself? Or that neighbor or family member that you know God's been saying, you need to have a conversation about where they are in relationship to Christ. Seeing our jobs as mission fields and not just paychecks. And the list goes on and on. So what are you doing right now that you feel like you can't do on your own? What are you doing right now that you know, man, I could never do that unless God moves? So this is the challenge today. Step out and do something that terrifies you. Step out and do something you feel like you have no business doing. Begin something that you feel completely inadequate for or equipped to do. Step out and trust God and watch his faithfulness overwhelm you. Because remember, God's faithfulness is not bound by space or time every day. His faithfulness is waiting for you. And when everyone else around you is unfaithful, God never is. I think it's time for many of us to step out and do something that we could never do on our own, that we could feel completely inadequate for. Remembering no one ever trusted God in vain. And I promise you, you will not be the first. So this morning, I want us to conclude by focusing on that attribute of God's faithfulness. There was faithfulness in creating the world. Faithfulness with Adam and Eve in the garden. Faithful to his covenants of Abraham, Moses, and David. Faithfulness to the children of Israel when they thought God had abandoned them and they turned their backs on him. Faithful to send a Savior when they hadn't heard from God in over 400 years. Faithful in sending the promised Holy Spirit. Faithful to build his church that he says the gates of hell will not prevail. And then we can stand in the truth knowing no one before us and no one after us has ever trusted God in vain. So this morning, the Lord's Supper that we're going to observe I want you to know it is open to anyone that's put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ and him alone for salvation. If you're sitting here this morning and, man, you're wondering about these things. You're curious about the one that, uh, only one that we have hope in Jesus. That you would watch God's people observe and find anyone after the service and say, could you tell me more about this person, Jesus, that you're hoping in? In just a moment, the elements will come around and as you take it and reflect upon God's faithfulness, and then we will take at the end as a sign of unison, of unity altogether. And once you know, there's also an option in the back for those that are needing the gluten-free option. So men, would you please, who are gonna serve, join me at the front at the table. Allow these thoughts to direct your minds as you take these this morning. Our world and the circumstances 
of our lives, the things that we tell ourselves. And sometimes those around us are telling us that God can't be trusted. But the truth of the scripture tells us over and over again, no one ever trusted God in vain. If you're a Christian this morning, please know you are adopted by a father who will never change his mind about you, never write you off, never leave you or forsake you. That you are forever a part of God's family by faith alone in Christ alone. And that you now have a friend that sticks closer than a brother. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you this morning for this truth. Lord, I ask you that you would give us eyes to see this truth, ears to hear it, minds to understand it, and then hearts to believe it. That no one ever trusted you in vain. And Lord, would you use the elements this morning to remind us of the faithfulness of your son and that that can live in us, that we can trust you no matter what. Lord, we thank you for sending your son to live the life that we could never live and to die the death that we deserved. It's in your son's name and by the power of your spirit, I ask these things, amen.